Welcome back to the X Podcast. You're listening to the voice of John Russell Moore sitting across from Timothy. <laughs> why, why have we created that as part of the intro? <laughs> yeah, You're so listening to the voice of sitting across from Timothy LeVay Moore. Whoa. Let's not do that. Yeah. Wait, who is he? Why do I know Tim LeVay? Who is he? Tim LeVay? Talking about Tim LeHay? LeHay? No, not like, Tim LeHay. You're talking about Timothy McVay. Timothy McVay. I don't he know. He was the bomber. Dude. <laughs> okay, so let's not Timothy call you that. Let's not do that. You're <laughs> let's, saying, not I think call, that's let's not call you Tim that. McVay, McVay, then, Timothy McVay, McVay, Timothy McVay. Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City bomber, yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah let's Sorry. not do that. Sorry. Okay. Uh, Freudian slip. And then we have Zachary Brown. Just like the band. Just like the band. time. In the last episode, I referred to you as Zach Toes in the Sand Brown. Okay. We won't finish the rest of that. Yep. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Heard you're pretty bombed this Christmas season. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> Is that not true? No, it's, I'm very excited. I heard it's they're going to make a Hallmark movie about you and your family. You said that if there could be cameras that would follow my family around, it would like the script would write itself. Yes, for I, the holiday season. I was watching him last night. He feels so at home in the miserable cold. Um, and you were just decked out, very cozy Christmas outfit, and just your beautiful children are running through. We're decorating the foyer last night, mm-hmm. and you know your kids—they're just—they're that a. They're just so joyful and happy and cute and carefree, and they're swirling around. They're picturesque red, you know, uh, ponytails just swirling. And I'm watching you be like, now remember, be helpful. And I'm like, this is like the most wholesome family. There's got to be a Hallmark movie in here somewhere. Maybe, maybe you should come on certain times of the day. It's what, not, it's not always picture perfect. No. What, what's the phrase you made fun of me for for a long time? There's no telling. The witching hour. <laughs> oh yeah, he's like, I can't talk right now. It's the witching hour. <laughs> I was like, whoa, okay. It's, oh. it, for anyone listening, it's the hour between. Five and six thirty p.m. was not really an hour, but it's when all ninety the, minute when all, when all the it, kids turn into witches. N- no, it's when they're just crazy. That's what I said. The kids <laughs> turn into witches. Is that what they call the witching hour? Uh, I think so. I don't know. Mm. It's it's like they forget all reason and form. They lose their minds. They just mm. they're. It's yeah. yeah. All right. So mm. we have argued a lot about how we're going to approach this third topic, but uh, we'll dive in and see where it goes. So basically, this is uh, like an unofficial part three of an unofficial trifecta mini-series in the podcast uh, stream we've had going. We did one a few weeks ago on the power of language when it comes to our faith, and we talked about the danger of God language. Mm -hmm. Then we had another one um, last week where we talked about the power of language you use when it comes to relationships, when it comes to others. And we talked about the danger of therapy speak. Um, and of course, of course, the whole kind of goal in these is to think at a higher level. It's not just the power of the words you choose, but the power of the language you use. Um, realizing that whenever we embrace or utilize a type of language, there are hidden meanings, assumptions, layers in that. Um, I was reading an article today talked about the um, they talk about in certain like uh, cultures where they don't have certain colors we have. It doesn't mean those colors don't exist. Yeah. But when we use words, we're not just picking words out of the world. Our words are literally shaping the identity mm-hmm. that we are looking at. They're shaping our view of reality. And I don't think we realize how powerful that is. And so we've talked about the power of language with God, the power of language with others. I want to talk about, however best we can, the power of language when it comes to ideas. Mm. You know, one of the big kind of, I guess, themes of this podcast is how do we talk about big ideas and how do we elevate the way we think about them? Yeah. And I think more often than not, we don't realize that the language we choose or even passively receive impacts the way we view those ideas. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really does. Mm -hmm. I I think we don't understand the hidden narratives in them. And a few weeks ago, there's this masterclass thing that I've kind of subscribed to and been paying way too much money for that I've told you all about. And, uh, one, and, and he, he did kind of his own exercise through this. And one of the quotes I wrote down, I, I just think this is really good. He says, when you embrace a language, you are embracing a reality behind that language, yeah. which is perfectly fine as long as you realize you're doing it. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, the thought process experiment he took us through was, and this is very volatile, 
um, but the Israel-Hamas war. And his whole goal in walking through it was not even to like make a statement about what was going on and all the horrific things that were going on, but to really dissect some of the language being used. Yeah. And to say, yeah. okay. Yeah. And so I, I think however we can approach this, I just want to have a conversation on how do we be intentional on the language we choose and on how we think through the language we're receiving when it comes to ideas. Idea, big ideas being the ideas that really shape how we view reality. It could be religious, could be political, could be current events. But to, from the headlines we read every day to the political narratives that we subscribe to, to how we even talk about our faith, our language is reinforcing ideas and containing hidden narratives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I wanted to... <laughs> well, and what was really tough about this is we talked about we don't really want to get controversial. We've not been controversial in a while. Here's a really tough part about this. Why do I it's, feel like you're trying to make us controversial? I'm not. Here's what's really hard oh. is when I'm trying to think about relevant examples we could think of, it well, was almost impossible to find something that didn't have <laughs> some sort of political nature. I think that's part. Maybe that just speaks to what we talked about. Everything's been politicized nowadays. Yeah. So. My goal in bringing some of these up is there may be some of these that are political in theme, but my goal is not to get political and to make a statement either side. Right. It's just to try. Because I think one of the powerful things about ideas is when you can put them on the table objectively Mm -hmm. without your emotional attachment, just say, let's dissect it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, I I think to just, and I think we can talk about current events that might be political, have political side to them without necessarily having to dive into politics and who's right, who's wrong. It's more about the narratives that are being created mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. shaping people's reality mm-hmm. and us to be aware of it. Yeah. And yeah. I think a great example of even what you're referring to that I just remember that just stood out to me when you were talking about Israel, Israel Hamas. I just remember when everything first happened in Israel, October 7th, I think it was, it was October 7th. Yeah. I think yeah. It was. Yep. And you know, there was the just, I remember with the BBC and like the BBC refused to use the word terrorist when mm. referring to Hamas, mm. though almost every other major network would. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of coming under fire for, you know, their decision not to ever, you know, they would talk about, you know, the Palestinian group. They would talk about this. They wouldn't use the word terrorist, even though those of us sitting at this table would all probably say that the act of what they did on October 7 was an act of, er- of terrorism. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and even so, even if the event was obvious to the whole world that it was a terrorist type of event. Mm. They refused to use the word terrorists mm-hmm. when referring to them because they said that was their way of staying in the middle, mm. so to speak, that their job was to report on the news, mm. but not to basically add their own conjecture or narrative. In other words, the term when you refer to a group or someone or people as terrorists, you it's such a negative connotation that you've already kind of cast what they are. Mm. And I, I just remember that whole thing blowing up and people just calling them out and other networks mm-hmm. and it was just, you know, kind of blew over. But but that's I think one example mm-hmm. that I, I can think of that yeah. what you're talking about. Would you agree? No, I think that's a really good example. I actually have a fun example. Okay. That I'd be go. curious. Fun. And it's seasonal too. Uh-oh. Uh and so Uh-oh. I Happy get, holidays. Uh-oh. I want to get both, both of you <laughs> on this. Merry Xmas. Uh-oh. <laughs> that's a, that's it. Uh-oh. Wait, is that really? <laughs> no, for real. Yeah. So like oh, people I, freak out, man. I feel like this always comes up this time of year and mm-hmm. I see it on my social feeds and different things like that. It's the war on Christmas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you hear it all the time. It's like, oh, here, here it starts again. The war <laughs> on Christmas. Merry Xmas. Of course, we're ex-church. I tell you uh, what. Here. It has, you don't know how much we have wanted to leverage <laughs> the X and Xmas, Xmas for purely branding reasons <laughs> at, at ex-church. But, and yet we don't. Not because we maybe have a problem with it, but because we know how people feel, how people feel about, about but, the language. But it's interesting. Okay, so we know how people feel about it. They, they obviously, there's strong reactions on either side of, of this idea. But to me, what's interesting is when people use the term the war mm. on Christmas, it implies mm-hmm. a level of, of violence or uh, uh, opposition or um, of, of fighting. And I think that I'm going to extrapolate this so across a bigger principle. I don't mm-hmm. think it's 
not just this example with Christmas that we do this, but I think culturally, mm -hmm. socially, we often will use mm -hmm. military mm -hmm. or war language yeah. that implies like fighting or mm -hmm. our uh, violence in yeah. our language. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's definitely not one of the examples that I like originally thought of, but you know, for our intents and purposes, let's take that language. Let's take that phrase. Yeah. And so let's do a thought experiment on it. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm sorry. Just he shared a great example, and you go, "That was definitely not what I was expecting." <laughs> I, just, I, I was gonna have like I I know what you were trying to do, but it sounded awful. You're like that was that was just a terrible example. But since you went there, okay. Um, we love you. I think it was just unexpected. What I meant. I think it was a great example. I. No, before we move on, because I think it's a great one, I would like to know what everybody's personal opinion is about using the term Xmas at this table. You first. You go first. <laughs> you first. Me first? I, I mean, I'll, I'll go, go first. Well, I'll go I'll first. first. Since, since you just had such a terrible idea <laughs> for, uh, for, <laughs> for an idea, uh, my mind immediately goes to there is, ironically, a link between the name of our church yes. and that phrase, which is X is the Greek letter for Christ. I know. And so... I remember being in Bible school. This mm -hmm. was a long time ago when this came up. And this is, I think, like Bible uh, professor humor, you yeah. know? Yeah, but, yeah. but we were talking about Greek, mm -hmm. and he's over there talking about it, and he was just like, I don't know why so many people have a problem with Xmas. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, he's somebody who's like trained, he's like yeah. capital letter for... X in the Greek is represents Christ. Christ. Mm -hmm. It is Christmas, and but you hear so much, yep. right? The yes. I, the reason why I say this is because you just dropped in what is kind of a weird controversy mm -hmm. in the church world that anybody who's not from the church world listening is probably going, there, what what's, is going what's on? wrong with that? In the church world, <laughs> in the church world, people will say, you're taking Christ out of Christmas. Yeah. Right. But, but then we'll go buy all our presents and do all the gift exchange and yeah. do all the other stuff that maybe isn't necessarily related to the actual birth, birth of, of Jesus. Yeah. And we don't have we'll call it Christmas. And so I we choose to call it Christmas mm -hmm. at X Church. <laughs> Not Xmas at the X or any version of that because we know it triggers yeah. another term. People. It triggers people. It triggers. Uh, and so we speak. try to avoid triggering people for no reason at all. Yeah. But yeah. it would have branded really well. Anyways. It would have. I think uh, in answer to your question, uh, Xmas is fine. Yeah. Hello. Okay. So I was not, I apologize. I was not <laughs> trying to demoralize your idea, your example. Um, but let's use that example. Yeah. So because the whole point of this podcast is how can we elevate the way we think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we can't do that unless we stop taking for granted phrases we hear and actually take the moment to dissect them. So let's dissect that phrase, the war on Christmas. Because I think maybe where I would disagree with you is I actually think there are people that are not in church that do care about that phrase because that phrase has been used for a culture war. Yeah, It's been used for a culture war. I think there are people who maybe wouldn't even really ever go to church but would actually find a way to make themselves angry about this or to let a, a certain movement make Wait, them angry about it. You're saying it. people that wouldn't go to church would find a reason to be angry about a church using Xmas no, no, or no, 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 no. About, about the, the fact that there's so many Christians that care? About what I'm saying say that, is there yes. are people who wouldn't go to church but maybe would hear on a news station there is a war on Christmas oh, the and language. would say, yes, there is. They would feel there's a war on Christmas? Yeah? No, no, no. What I'm saying is there are people who don't go to church who would hear yes. there's a war on Christmas and yeah. find themselves angry about it. No. Okay. That somebody uh, would say that. Yeah. I continue agree. on with your thought experiment. So, thought experiment. Yes. Let's dissect the phrase. The war okay. on Christmas. The war, the war on Christmas. Christmas. Uh, first of all, what's Christmas? Let me, let's just really, like, break it down. Like, so that phrase, the war on Christmas. What is Christmas? Uh, In English or Spanish? <laughs> What is it? I mean, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. So by saying that, we're saying there's a war on, the on celebrating Jesus. the birth of Jesus. Yes. That's, that's, a, that's okay. So that's a big accusation. Yes. Um, and the fact there's a war means someone's declaring war. Correct. So then we have to ask, like, who's declaring war? Someone's declaring war on celebrating the birth of Jesus. Who? Uh, everyone who uh, wants to change 
Christmas to Xmas. <laughs> so big box retailers and marketers and 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 let's just call it the cor- the the faceless corporations of the world. Okay. So what makes you think that there just happens to be a lot of corporate leaders of all of these big box organizations who have collectively gotten together and decided that they're going to declare war on celebrating the birth of Jesus? Uh, I feel like you're setting me up here. Um, <laughs> you're supposed to be playing the person who has a problem with I know. it, and he is asking you to think through it. And it. I would say, well, because there is a, because they're anti-Christianity, or they're anti-Jesus. Who's they? The, the corporate leaders. All the corporate leaders. Yeah, There's a lot of corporate leaders that are Christians. Yeah, but like they're not in the inner group. They're not in the, what's the inner group? <laughs> what's the inner group? <laughs> I, I mean, we can play this forever. Yeah. I, just, the, I mean, maybe it's a, a bad one to start with for dissection, but I just think there's a lot of phrases, and again, without getting political, one of the reasons that I thought about this third one is we are a year out from our next big election. So we are going to be bombarded even more so uh, with slogans, mantras, phrases. And I just think um, it's so important to think critically through them and to be able to, to you know, uh, dissociate your identity from an idea, mm-hmm. to be able to think through what does it actually mean. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we, we, we had... We there already, is a war on Christmas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, I mean, can't, maybe to go back to the first week, we'll, we'll, we'll pedal slowly. We'll tread softly. <laughs> um, the more that you dissect an idea, the more you can even make sure you understand it. Like we talked about the power of God language. Like even one of the things that we would use, like for instance, um, when we're walking up on platform, we would probably, we've talked about this, we would probably never say, hey, 30 people got saved today. Because that cre- that contains a lot of hidden meaning and assumption mm-hmm. with us and a whole lot of hidden meaning and assumption of the people listening. Mm-hmm. So we would probably say something different of like, hey, there's a lot of people today that decided to follow Jesus, give their lives to Jesus, and it changed their whole life. And just taking that moment to say, okay, what does that language mean? Mm-hmm. Deepens our meaning and then communicates clearly to the other person. Here's what I'm actually trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um you know, one of the phrases that, that came to my mind that I feel like is tossed around a lot is, um, you know, vote your faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that's a phrase that contains a lot of assumption mm-hmm. and contains a lot of narrative and con- it contains this hidden meaning of, well, that means you better vote this way or vote that way. Mm-hmm. Or that everything in your faith journey needs to be legalized. Or that everything... And so... For me, it's just like, I'm, I'm just trying to think through like what are, or even so when we went through the thought exercise um, uh, of Israel and Hamas, mm-hmm. you know, a, a couple of the words that, you know, we took time as a group to like break down. It's like, a, again, it's a tragic situation. This isn't commentary on what's going on. We've already had, we've already had podcasts about mm-hmm. uh, the tragedy over there, the, the terrorist attack on Israel. Um, also the empathy for the humanitarian plight that the Palestinians are facing, all of that stuff. But there's uh, words being thrown around that have not been thought through and are just being used carelessly. Um, uh, words uh, like um, occupiers, occupied land. None, regardless of how you feel about it, like that contains a lot of assumption. Mm-hmm. It, it, that, that contains a lot of... Um, uh, meaning of this of determining okay how far back in history you're going like when you say that you're automatically saying that this group of people mm-hmm. is illegally trespassing on this group um, you, you're you're creating an entire <clears throat> novel of meaning mm-hmm. by one yes. assumed word yeah. right. um, and so I, I guess the whole point of this is like how, how do we think through and, and may, maybe this is a weird analogy that came to my mind. Uh, I was on the, uh, I was doing the stairs last night, trying to run off some of my uh, Thanksgiving uh, calories, and I had this weird mental picture come to my mind. Of I think a lot of times when we're trying to uh, create language to communicate an idea, we're trying to use the most persuasive language possible, mm-hmm. which can be a great thing. Right. Actually, yeah. there's power in persuasion. I think, you know, even in scripture from a faith context, Peter and Paul talk about the power to persuade, like we want to persuade people. 
Um, as a communicator, I want to use my words to persuade people. <laughs> I've been told since I was a kid, sometimes in complimentary ways, sometimes in not. Like, Rush, you have the power of persuasion. My mom used to say, Rush, you should be a lawyer. Um, and I think using that in the right way is powerful. I want to persuade people to love God. I want to persuade people to love Jesus. I want to persuade people to live at their highest level. Um, but I think if you take an idea that you want to persuade people on, but you camouflage the side that you want to hide and you invalidate what the other side is, what you've done is you've built an island of defense to defend anybody that disagrees with you and to make them feel stupid and immoral. Um, and so the thought, the image that came to my mind is when I'm persuading people, I can either become an island or I can use my language to be a bridge. Um, and I'll give you an, I'll give you an example of what I mean by this. Um, in, in the world of, you know, pro-life, pro-choice. I know, again, it's so dangerous to talk about these things, but let's, on, on the pro-choice side, there's uh, a phrase um, that the only thing that we're talking about here is the reproductive health of women. Mm-hmm. What that does, whether you agree with that or not, what that does is it creates a narrative that completely eliminates a whole aspect that everybody on any side obviously knows is central to the issue, which is also the baby. Mm-hmm. But when that, so that argument is made, what's made is, you're saying it and phrasing it in a way to where you are making yourself an island and anybody that disagrees with you is stupid or immoral. And I think the thought process I've been going through is how do you communicate in a way where you're passionate about what you believe, but you are also honest and you create a bridge of understanding with the other side. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it's good. Was that provoking you? Well, I, I I think one of the things I'm just I'm kind of imagining and my mind is just cycling through so many different um, thoughts that we experience every day, which is the news headlines Mm -hmm. to everything. I think being cognizant of number one, how I think what you're talking about is like weighted language or using Mm -hmm. language to communicate. And I think one of the things that's been difficult for us as a society for probably the last I don't know, people would say the last decade, maybe two decades it's been going on, is that it seems like in the world of, let's just say, journalism, for example, that there seems to be no middle anymore. Mm -hmm. Correct. It seems to be that every journalistic organization seems to have an agenda, Mm -hmm. whether it's a Mm right-leaning, left-leaning. And so because of that, so these are those kind of hidden motives or assumptions, Mm -hmm. is that headlines and articles are written Mm -hmm. from one perspective, but not including another perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one of the challenges that we are. You add to that social media, social media is just going to continue with the algorithms to feed you the one perspective Mm -hmm. that you agree with the most. Mm -hmm. And and I think this is one of the things that is really creating a big divide. Mm -hmm. And I think we just have to, number one, we've talked about this, echo chambers, all these things. I think we have to be we have to just recognize that that exists. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to just be careful that we don't end up living in one small slice of our world, that it's the small little echo chamber that we can never have a conversation about the ideas Mm -hmm. that are on the table. Mm -hmm. And I think as a country, right now, as you said, it's a political year coming up, there's a a new uh, presidential election. That's what it's gonna be we are going to see this mm-hmm. in the forefront of what are the big ideas right now that are probably being debated the most? Um, the, the economy, economy. Sl- mm-hmm. you know, inflation and what's happening there, <laughs> war that's happening abroad, whether it's in Russia, Ukraine, or in the Middle East, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, border the, the border issue mm-hmm. coming in there to, as we said, from abortion, reproductive rights, and should this be, you know, the conversation is, should there be a federal, every, every, mm-hmm. should it be, every Republican, should the rights be in the Constitution? Yeah, every Republican primary debate that I've seen, that question has been posed to mm-hmm. all of the candidates is, mm-hmm. should there be a federal level ban or federal level, or should this just be in the states? states. What's happened mm-hmm. with Roe v. Wade getting overturned in June of last year? So I think what the problem is, I think first we need to recognize it is intentional by a lot of news organizations and people to use very slanted, weighted language. Mm-hmm. I think we, we just have to understand that mm-hmm. that is the reality we live in. Everybody wants to persuade everyone else to think like mm-hmm. them. Yep. Yep. 
And so understanding that, I think what, what we're asking at this conversation mm-hmm. is, how can we, number one, recognize our internal biases based on our chambers and our things? And, and then two, how can we engage in a very productive conversation with other people? Because mm-hmm. I think the only way we get to real solutions in mm-hmm. our country is we get rid of the language with assumption that's built in, and we have just a really honest conversation about just the bare bones idea. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think one of the first ways to, in my, that comes to my mind for us to start doing that is trying to figure out how we can remove the identity portion yes. of these conversations. Yeah. Because we have so isolated ourselves of, I'm a this, and... If you're a that, whatever, Republican, that is, Democrat, pick your yeah. side, whatever, you're on the other side. Mm-hmm. And, and it's almost a defensive position. And what we don't even see, and part of the problem is, it, when I say at the top, I don't mean just the president. I mean all of Washington. Mm-hmm. We have seen played out over and over more in the last, I'd say, 10, 20 years I've ever been mm-hmm. alive of a refusal to push away from the extremes and the sides to say, let's sit down and come up with a solution that is going to be the best solution for the most good mm-hmm. in our nation. Yeah. We, we, we are not getting that at all. Yeah. Like in Congress and whatever, there's no, I mean, they can't pass anything. You can't even oust a Speaker of the House and, mm-hmm. and agree to put a Speaker of the House when you have a majority. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is just an absolute mess. Yeah. And I think a lot goes back to when you watch and you see clips from <laughs> sessions of Congress and you hear mm-hmm. what people are saying in interviews mm-hmm. and the language they're using. They're, mm-hmm. Everything is like they're inferring something. Mm-hmm. There, there's like a not just a negative tone, but often a very, I would say, condemning tone. Mm-hmm. Like when someone's interviewing from the you mm-hmm. know, Congress, yeah. like you can just tell the way they're asking a question is – they're not really trying to get an answer. They're trying to make a point through mm-hmm. their question. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, no wonder we can't get anywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think what we're saying, even probably on a personal level, how can each of us, and I'm just maybe trying to summarize for myself, if that's mm-hmm. helpful at the table, how can I have an engaging conversation with someone who might think differently about a topic mm-hmm. without using the kind of language that just shuts down the conversation? Yeah, yeah. Would you no, agree that that's kind yeah. of like that's the no, basic that's thing that we're we're talking about? Yeah, and and I think you have to first remove the identity politics out of the language yeah. that we that we use. Yeah, you can't have um, you can't once you're echo chambered and you you begin to view us versus them, like anybody that disagrees with you as the enemy, mm-hmm. you you become intellectually compromised. Yeah. yeah, and you're not able to think. Critically, and so part of it is how do you remove yourself and begin to treat ideas as something you don't possess? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I heard somebody the other day talk about um, they knew somebody who was uh, just a really dogmatic preacher, and their son for the longest time just rebelled and ran from God, and um, and eventually, and this person didn't realize that the dogmatism and the legalism and the judgmentalism is what really drove their son away because their son was more free-spirited, artistic, creative. And so this person finally um, talked to this old pastor when the son kind of had a turnaround, gave his life to Jesus. And um, the pastor, still kind of clueless, told, told this person that had actually mentor him, said, well, did you see? My son finally gave his life to Jesus. I, I tried to tell him all his life, and I was right. <laughs> yeah. And the person told him, said, no. You aren't right. Jesus is right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that sounds so simple, but I think like we, we, we get this emotional attachment to where if I, our ideas are attacked, we're attacked. Yeah. And so I think part of it, what you're saying is so brilliant. There's got to be a greater uh, value for truth mm-hmm. than for ego. Yeah. And that can only happen when we disassociate it from ego. I think another big thing too, honestly, that sounds so simple, is to just be honest about the issue. Yeah. I, 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 it's hard to talk about without dancing around it, but that's why when I talk about the pro-life, pro-choice, it's like if you think whatever side you're on, let's say you don't think that women's rights matter at all. Let's say you think babies don't matter at all. Well, just be honest about it, but don't yeah. use dishonest language. Yeah. Don't yeah. say this is just about the reproductive health of women. Yeah. Again, this is where the more, because I, I had to like wrestle through this concept, and last night, here's the thought I came to. The power of persuasion 
is amazing as long as I'm being honest. The moment I'm not being honest, it goes from an art of persuasion to an art of deception. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm camouflaging um, the real issues. And so part of this, <laughs> we talked about this too, but this, this even goes back to, um, I had a conversation recently. Uh, I told you all, I've been, I've been watching, kind of observing this the last few years. Uh, when someone says, man, that person's just really telling it how it is and saying what they think. On one hand, and then on the other hand, the person that says, that person's just getting way too political. I've watched this for about three years now, and I've come to the conclusion that that really, that only, what only matters is whether that person is agreeing with what that person already thinks. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've, I've watched this, and I'm sure I'm guilty of it too, but I've noticed that if a celebrity says something political, mm-hmm. then if you agree with them, you're happy they're just telling it like it is. Yeah. Or if a pastor. You, yes, <laughs> yeah, or a pastor. A yeah. If you disagree with them, they're just being too political and they need to stay in their life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. But I just wonder how many of us are actually honest enough to see that. Mm-hmm. Do we see that or, do, or, or are we so um, uh, biased? Are we so tribalistic in our own camps yeah. that we're not seeing it. So I think part of it is just being honest and saying, where are my blind spots? Yeah. Where am I emotionally attached? Where am I? If the moment the other, um, the other person that you're talking to says something culturally, uh, current events, societally, politically that you disagree with, and instead of listening to them, I already have in my mind the response that's been primed in me. Yeah of how they're wrong, then I'm not listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's hard for me to come to, from an honest place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, just in my mind, some of what's popping in is what you said of how do I detach it from my identity, yeah. number one. Number two, how, do, how can I just have a radical commitment to be honest to myself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what do I actually believe about this and why? And then I think the, probably the third thing that I would add would be just how do I ask yourself, how, how do I have empathy for the person that I'm sitting mm-hmm. across from? Because I think it, it is so easy to put yourself in a us versus me versus them mm-hmm. mindset. And I think the minute you do that, it's easy to dehumanize the person that you're sitting across the table from or who, yeah. who you're trying to have a conversation with. And I think that the minute you do that, that that's when you even lose the ability to, mm-hmm. uh, to think through what they're saying and to even like process. Okay. Mm-hmm. I hear what they're saying, but what's the idea behind what they're saying? Yes. And like weed through that language. And I think it's really easy at times to just, um, to look at people as just, they're a walking billboard for whatever issues they're standing for. Yes. And I just think, mm-hmm. ask yourself, okay, what's maybe what's going on in their life that maybe makes them so passionate about this issue. Yeah. yeah. And like and the minute you start to ask yourself those why questions and begin to put mm-hmm. yourself in their shoes. I, I just think it, it gives you the ability to elevate your thinking mm-hmm. in terms of dealing with even specific people directly in front of you. Yeah, that's good. I think one of the things that I've, um, where I've seen this play out that is kind of a unique, unique um, situations that is, I, I'm, I'm very careful in these kind of moments, but I, I've had a few flights. I, I, I'm the kind of person that when I'm like sitting, you know, you're on full flights and sitting next to people, I, I'm not going to bug somebody, but I don't shy away from conversations because mm-hmm. I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. My wife will sit next to me and she was just like ears in. I don't want to <laughs> talk to anybody. And I'm the kind of person that's like, oh, who am I sitting next to? <laughs> and so I've had, I've had a few different flights where I've had some, you know, really, I can think of three right now mm-hmm. that have just had some fascinating conversations with people that just naturally have turned into talking about everything political, mm-hmm. everything that is controversial, you yeah. can imagine, and mm-hmm. they know what I do for a living. Yeah. And um, we've, I've had amazing conversations with people that don't go to church, that, mm-hmm. and why they don't go to church, would tell yeah. me, to people who kind of do and don't. I, I mentioned this, I think, on a previous podcast, but just even this summer flying, and I end up sitting next to this woman who is a... Um, She's a lawyer from the state of Florida, and we're flying to Colorado. And we had the most fascinating, fun conversation about everything political you can imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, this is <laughs> in the height of all of the um, Donald Trump and the Mar-a-Lago and the, the, the whole documents. case of documents and all that. Like, this is in the height of all that in the summer. Mm-hmm. And um, 
what, what, was, what I always try to do in those moments, this is what I was trying to do. Number one, I always try to engage in a, with a person not to win an argument, mm-hmm. but rather to, as you said, kind of like build a bridge. Just mm-hmm. how do I get to know this as a person? And, mm-hmm. I, and I'm always, again, partially it's my faith, partially it's what I do. It always ends up leading to conversations. But here's what I know. This is something I keep in the back of my mind. And I think maybe this would be something that every Christ follower should keep in their back of their mind, whether you work in a church or not. Mm-hmm. Because I work in a church and my role is a pastor, when people always say, what do you do? What do you work? You know, and it comes up. It always puts a weight on me to remember that I don't just represent my own voice and opinions, but mm-hmm. I represent Christ somehow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm representing a church. Mm-hmm. So when I'm talking to somebody, I remember that. You shouldn't have to be a pastor to feel that way. Mm-hmm. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should, without that, maybe coming up in conversation, remember, I represent someone much bigger than just my own personal perspective and experience. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, when we get in conversations, I'm telling you, like, it never goes bad. Mm. Like I get conversations with people that yeah. very different, yep. different. I can tell on some issues, very different politically for yep. that. And we like I, one guy had Aren't those incredible, stimulating conversations. I love them. I had one conversation with a guy who owned a Chick-fil-A and we get done with a conversation. And he's giving me free Chick-fil-A gift cards. <laughs> and he's basically says, he says, we need more pastors like you in this world. Oh, and funny. I'm not like, we disagreed as we, I mean, literally this was right. I was flying. It was right after the Roe v. Wade decision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got on the conversation about this and he did not come from a church mm-hmm. background necessarily. He grew up, but wasn't going to church, had a different maybe perspective than I did on some mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. as we're going through. But, but I, I would, was listening and we're going, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. What do you think about this? Mm-hmm. And just because I was not dogmatic in my approach, mm-hmm. because I wasn't there, it, you know what? It, didn't change his mind about any one of necessary, maybe of those topics, but it changed his mind about pastors. Yep. I'm going to make an assumption. I'm going to make an assumption since you two connected that neither one of you used the phrase woman oppressor or baby killer. (laughs) (laughs) And and maybe, you know, and maybe just as you're speaking, here's, here's maybe the thought that came to me. If, if the challenge in week one of this kind of trifecta was, uh, in faith, be weary of God language. Yeah. If part two was in relationships, be weary of psychology language. Maybe in this, when it comes to ideas, be weary of primed language. Mm-hmm. Like, if you have an idea and you're passionate about it, if you take time to strip away like all the like tribalistic language that shows how right you are, yeah. even if you don't ever change your mind about it, if you take a fresh approach with fresh language, it might actually deepen how you feel about it and improve the way that you communicate it to mm. someone else. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can take this all the way from the extreme of, um, I, I heard someone say this, I thought this was a good rule of thumb. Don't ever refer to someone as something they don't refer to themselves as. Mm. So in other yeah. words, like sometimes you'll yeah. hear people say, they're just a freaking socialist. Yeah. And if this they, person's point was, don't say that unless they refer to themselves as. Yeah. You can call if you mean that derogatory. <laughs> I mean, if you don't, yeah. well, however you feel about socialism. But like Bernie Sanders, it is okay to call Bernie Sanders a socialist because he calls himself a socialist. Right. And so like avoiding a, uh, accusatory, inflammatory language, but, but then also just talking about like, even think through like whatever it's about, whether it's immigration or environment or, you know, or women's rights or equality or economy, whatever it is. Whatever language you always hear that is kind of the language your base uses, so mm-hmm. to speak, what if you like took a week and just thought, okay, what do I really believe about this? I'm going to strip away all the, the trigger words. Mm-hmm. And what's the fresh language I could use that actually explains how I really feel about this? Yeah. And I, th- I think we would be surprised when we do that, how it shapens, at times even changes, how we really feel about the issue. Once we bring human sure. language to yeah. an actual issue, yeah, mm. that's a good thought. Yeah, no, it's good. I think that um, you're, you're you're pointing out just some things that are really important. I think for us, when we have conversations with people before we even go into them, mm-hmm. have you had a moment to think through? And mm-hmm. kind of like what we we're messing around with and joking, but we didn't do. But just dissect 
mm-hmm. the problem, mm-hmm. dissect the issue mm-hmm. without all of yeah. the rhetoric that you're so used to hearing. And I, and I agree. I think the one of the things that gets in the way of having thoughtful conversations that could change someone's mind mm-hmm. yeah. is that we do it from a position you know, rather than just as a person, like we do it from like, well, I'm this and you're that and it creates walls. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's just, like I said, it's just amazing how many conversations that I can have with somebody that totally thinks differently. Mm -hmm. And we may not even come to agree, but because of the way I approach the conversation, they walk away from it. Maybe not with their mind changed about that, but they might have their mind changed about, wow, you're a pastor. And you think like that? And we and you had talk, a real conversation. We had a real conversation. I had, that was the, literally yeah. what I had. I had this, I was, again, flying with that one person who was a lawyer. And by the time we got done with the conversation, mm-hmm. she kind of said almost the same things the other guy. She said, do you know how refreshing this conversation was? Mm-hmm. She was like, maybe there is hope for the church. Yeah. And so I, I don't think changed her mind. We, I mean, we were just, we were just back and forth. And we agreed on a lot of stuff mm-hmm. politically. It was just interesting hearing her take on stuff and that. But I actually think a more important thing was accomplished yeah. is that maybe she actually could see that, wow, there's a church or there's a pastor, or there's people out there like you that just mm-hmm. don't fall into a camp and just spit out rhetoric that is not intelligent. Mm-hmm. And they don't educated. They mm-hmm. aren't this. They just use their, you know, same arguments they have forever. <laughs> and there's no conversation about it. Yeah. I, this is all really good. And you guys have articulated everything that I would agree with and say yes and amen to. I'm just, I find myself sitting here as I'm listening to both of you talk and, and asking the question, uh, maybe how do I think even differently about this conversation that we're having? Cause uh, let's be honest, us, the, I know the way the three of us think, and we're probably very comfortable, more comfortable maybe than others in terms of operating in a gray space or opening up our minds mm-hmm. to engage or, or mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But I do think there are people mm-hmm. who view ideas mm-hmm. as, as dogmatic, very black, like this is either a true idea or a good idea or a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And if you're in that camp, in my experience in dealing with people who maybe fall into that category, mm-hmm. the thought process is, okay, well, this is a good idea and this is right. So therefore the, the other idea or thought is wrong. And so I need to, I need to address and or like call out. I don't even know if that's what I'm trying to say, but I, like in some way, like it's like, no, this is just a bad idea. Like you're just wrong. Mm-hmm. If someone finds themselves in that boat, mm-hmm. what are some ways that they can elevate they're thinking mm-hmm. or the way that they process and give me because because if that's how you feel and I and I just want to acknowledge that there are people who think that way mm-hmm. it would be hard if your core identity mm-hmm. was no like this is right mm-hmm. and I really believe this is wrong like that mm-hmm. that can be a harder are you trying to suggest <laughs> that I'm just trying to clarify yeah. that what does does a person do when let's just say their friend circle or <laughs> their work circle or their family circle all seems to believe one way and thinks that ever anybody who thinks differently is in the wrong camp. Yes. And you might live a little bit in the wrong camp. Maybe. And <laughs> am I am I understand? I it's a, this is a I mean it's a great question. Do either of you have any real I, life applications or examples? I ignore the conversations <laughs> with those people. Pastor Russ, what about you? <laughs> I, I, I know because I know some of your, you know. It, it, it depends. I think you, you ask a reading great it, Reading into the question, oh, I, don't I, don't think, I think you're talking more to people that tend towards dogmatism and a dogmatic approach. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. maybe. But, but again, I, I'm trying to actually, I don't want to say defend those people, but I'm just I'm saying yeah. for, for people who think that way, like there is like a core conviction yeah. Yeah. that they're right. Yeah. And that their idea is what is. I'll el- give you. I'll give you an example that is that's unrelated to anything that you have been in. But it's one I just had a conversation with someone about. Mm-hmm. It's the whole difference of when it comes to again. This is an idea and an ideology, but transgender ideology is the whole idea of the pronoun. Mm-hmm. The you know the pronoun hospitality versus mm-hmm. not. And there are what you're what you're suggesting at least in this 
environment. Yeah, I know that yeah. wasn't what you were bringing no. up, but we've talked about this. Is that, and I was talking to another pastor. There are some people that literally it is their conviction yeah. that for them to address uh, someone who's transgender by a different pronoun than what they were born would have represented their birth yeah. identity, maybe, or their, yeah. their sexual mm-hmm. identity yeah. um, is a lie. Yeah. And it's not that they just want to be jerks. Perfect, perfect example. It's not they want to be jerks. They're not yes. like I, I just, you know, yes. it's they have an absolute conviction Correct. and it feels morally mm-hmm. wrong for yes. them to do it. And, mm-hmm. and, and so I was talking with another pastor and we got on this subject and he mm-hmm. was even bringing up, he's like, no, I, I've had conversations with people. They're really good people. They're yeah. not haters. They're not yeah. this, but they do have a really strong conviction in yeah. that area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you're saying how do what what is your question in regards to that because i think that helps frame it when i understand like a mm-hmm. context like that it helps me what is your what are you saying so what are we i trying think to, we would look at a situation like that and i'm just going off of something you said uh, okay i'm not going to call someone by something that they wouldn't call themselves so mm-hmm. in that environment yeah like okay how how would i address them but but my core conviction is this mm-hmm. how do you do what you're asking yeah. our listeners to do with, to elevate your thinking. Yeah, so I think when it comes to the transgender issue, my answer is go back to its complicated series and podcasts. <laughs> I, had feeling, I had a feeling you were dancing around this and you weren't going to um, I think it doesn't have to be from, that From what that I think context. you're asking, I, I just, I'll throw out a couple of thoughts that are percolating and we can just yeah. pop yeah. back and forth. I think number one is this. Uh, I... I'm actually all about strong conviction. I have, anybody that knows me, you know I have very strong convictions. Um, I've given my life for a few decades to convictions that I'm willing to live and die for. Um, I'm all about strong convictions. I I go back often to G.K. Chesterton, though. Like, it's not arrogant to think you're right. It's just arrogant to be able to unimagine where you might be wrong. Um, And I think a, a great starting place for any level of impact or intelligence is humility. So I think all of us need to run some litmus tests on ourselves. Um, if, I mean, again, a lot of what we're saying goes back to like cultural, political. If I view everybody who disagrees with me as the enemy, if I have come to the place where I lack any nuance and I broad brush all Republicans, broad brush all Democrats, broad brush anybody who's not a Christian, broad brush any all men, broad, broad brush all white or Latino. When I, whenever I've done that, I can know that I've compromised uh, my intellectual validity, right? So I, I think first off is like, how do I run litmus tests on myself, my language, my thinking, my assumptions, my stereotypes? You know, you, you sent us this thing that I think is great, uh, and I'll have to look at how much it is. But yeah. I think it's called, what was the Grounds? Ground News. The Ground, ground news. news. And I, I don't know what the source of it yeah, is, but basically one of the, you know, tools of it is it will literally show you a percentage of where you're getting your news, left or right. And then it'll show you here's where your blind spots are. So I just think no matter what your convictions are, if you aren't ex- regularly exposing yourself to dissenting voices, um, then your mindset is fossilizing and your ability to adapt and think critically is diminishing. Um, so, and that doesn't have anything to do with lessening your convictions. I mean, when, when, as somebody who, one of my deep convictions is who Jesus is. When I spend time Real talking... Quick, uh, yes. I, I agree with you. Not yes. to push back on the moment, but... No, do. I, I think people, that's a big fear for people though. Yeah, people fear mm-hmm. the minute that they start engaging mm-hmm. with convictions and/or ideas that are outside of what their very strong core convictions are. They begin to fear that they're going to compromise those convictions. Then I would say they don't have very strong convictions because the more rooted I've become in who Jesus is, the less fearful I've become of somebody disagreeing with me. If I'm afraid to talk to somebody or read a book or listen to someone or have a conversation with someone who doesn't share the same belief as me, that fear is a giveaway mm-hmm. that my belief is actually fragile and or I have a fear of anything different. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, honestly, when you first asked the question a minute ago, the first thought that came to my mind was uh, the Pharisees had really strong convictions and were not open minded and changed nothing. 
Jesus had the strongest conviction of any man alive and constantly spent people with time who disagreed with him and constantly asked questions and was seen as open and loving and changed the whole world. And so uh, it kind of goes, I think one thing to go back to if you have really strong convictions is to seek what's your motive. Because mm-hmm. if my motive is pride, then I am going to shut away, shun, and um, just be hostile towards anything that anything or anyone who disagrees with me. If, my, if I have strong convictions but my motive is love, mm-hmm. then I'm actually going to open myself and run towards that. I'm going to seek to understand. It goes back to uh, if... if if I have strong convictions and my motive is pride and fear, I'll build an island. If I have strong convictions and my motive is love, then I'll build bridges. Yeah. And so part of it is if you have strong convictions, as somebody who has really strong convictions in Jesus, that actually causes me to be ruthless with the language I choose, to be ruthless with the approach that I take, to be ruthless in the best way to build bridges because I actually do have a strong conviction and I want to find the best way in love and humility to share that with people. Really practical question. Okay. If someone has a very strong conviction on an issue, mm-hmm. but they're still in process of uh, exploring maybe another side or reading mm-hmm. things like that, should they just avoid talking about it at all with other people? Give me an example. Let's go back to the, the pronoun. You don't want to use your example? I don't know. If should, should someone, if, if in the, the the transgender pronoun example, should someone not um, not even talk about or address like those things until they've worked it out? How they you mean like with other people? No. Yeah. I think that's how you work things out. Mm-hmm. I, I think a big issue is that there, I really think what creates the camps and the, the situations that you're talking about yeah. is that there are people who are willing to listen to someone who has a different take on that idea, and then there are people who won't. Mm-hmm. I think that's the difference we're talking about in camps. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's it's one person will listen and engage with empathy to try to understand, even if it doesn't change their mind and mm-hmm. learn. Mm-hmm. And then one group won't. And I think that some of the journey of what I know for me that has kind of like really changed my perspective on politics and other things probably more so in the last five years than anything else has been my willingness to try to listen and learn and understand it's it's being on an airplane with somebody who's different or just conversations Mm -hmm. with people who have a different view or being willing to read a book that i would normally never pick up or Mm -hmm. you know because i've been challenged to you know hey i have a very strong assumption that i am right on this and every time I read or listen or learn Mm -hmm. something changes in me and it doesn't necessarily mean that I've switched a conviction but something has moved and what has moved most often may not be the conviction but it has been my response to people who are Mm -hmm. different could you say this way it hasn't changed your conviction usually but it's textured your conviction and it's textured your approach so so if if you have a strong feeling on the topic of abortion okay and you are pro-life and you're this i completely understand that world it's it's just something i've you know come from in the church world and going up i totally get that i i have this conviction i hold it pro-life it's me but as i have listened to other people and learned about the challenges of whether it's the economic issues and the other things for what they're making an argument for or the situations of like the 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 friend of a family member that came to you that would end up having just this awful experience and situation through a very painful, you know, it hasn't necessarily moved me <laughs> over here. And I think mm-hmm. that's, that's the fear that a lot of people sometimes have. Yeah. But what it has done is it's changed the way I'll ever talk, talk about this subject. Yeah. It's changed that where I have empathy and I go, I understand why you feel that way. Yeah. I may not share it, but I do. And what that has done is it's created a bridge to actually have the relationship, to have a conversation. Yeah. That is what changes people's minds eventually. Yeah. It is not standing on one side mm-hmm. of the aisle and slinging words. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not what it is. Yeah. I think, so. I think part of it, too, is like, again, it goes back to what is your conviction rooted in? Uh, my whole I, – I for me, I, I, what changed um, – kind of what you're asking a long time ago is when I just got rid of, to the best of my ability, I mean, 
I'm always searching, okay, where is this in me? But completely got rid of any culture war mentality. Yeah. On the topic you just mentioned, I, I was listening to people even this weekend talk about transgenderism, but with anger. And when I think about people who are struggling in brokenness and, and sexual identity and gender identity, I think for me, I mean, the question is simply like, are you, like when you listen to yourself, do you sound angry at people or for people? Like, it was really interesting. I, we, over Thanksgiving, me and uh, my parents, we went to my dad's friend's side. And so I met, it was like 25 people there for this Thanksgiving dinner. And it was one, I had one of the most fascinating conversations. I met this couple from Australia. It's really interesting. Him talking about the political system. He said, I'll tell you what's wrong with America. He said, in Australia, we have three legitimate parties. He said, and so you don't have time for this tribalism. He said, do you realize how binary and polarized everybody is here? I was like, oh, yes. you're preaching the choir. And so we started talking about it. And we I've got calling for three parties for a long time. Yeah, and we got into some fascinating conversations. And he even brought up transgenderism and had very fascinating, I'd never thought of it like this before, had a very fascinating insight. He, he said that if you look back on almost any empire, um, and I don't know, so if you fact check me on this, on any empire, um, before they were destroyed, uh, before the empire fell, culturally, societally, there was an erasure of genders. Mm. Now, I've never heard of this. Yeah. So do I understand, do, and again, we go, if, if you're listening to this, you can go back to our It's Complicated series. This, it's a very textured conversation because I do think there is danger in what we've done to try in many ways unhealthily to... Uh, psychologically confuse young kids mm. who would not otherwise be confused. Yeah. But we also know there are people who legitimately struggle. And if I'm in a culture war, then my quote unquote conviction is going to make me mad at people and mad at quote unquote aside that I think is trying to do something. But for me, I try to just consider myself not in a culture war, but in a spiritual war. So, which means I'm going to be postured not to be mad at people, but for people. I don't want to see anybody broken. I don't want to see anybody uh, go through tr legitimate trauma and depression and the excruciating pain of, of identity confusion. And, and so, I mean, I don't know if that answers it, but it's, it's, it kind of goes back to motive. What, what's, my, what's my conviction rooted in? Is it rooted in a culture war that I've been primed to be angry about? Or does it, is it really rooted in what I, for me, as a follower of Jesus, rooted in a love for people and um, a, a faithfulness to what I believe Scripture teaches? And how can I take what Jesus has done in me and to the best of my ability, love people where they are, meet them with truth? Mm -hmm. But if it's compelled by love, it's, it's not going to be fueled by anger. Mm -hmm. Good. Good. I don't know if there's more to say. Because we could talk about this forever, and it's but like even what you're saying, it almost feels like with certain conversations, certain people, it just it feels like it's not worth the fight. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I think that's. I think I, I'm kind of of the persuasion now that I'm going to pick and choose my battles. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so the if I can have a again, there are certain convictions about my faith and other things that I hold very dear. Mm -hmm. And there's other convictions that I, I have that um, I have just found that the more I listen and allow somebody else's point of view to have to not only be said, mm -hmm. but to validate yes. some of the rationale or the reason. Like mm -hmm. there's some people you go, I mean, listen, you could take the topic was thrown out earlier, socialism, and just be like, <laughs> I am so against socialism that I hate all socialists, right? And anybody that mentions anything that is in reg that feels somewhat part of it, you just immediately, you know, uh, balk at it. You sh okay? I, I can agree. I I'm not a big fan of socialism myself. Okay, but if you'll sit and listen and allow someone to at least, and you ask them, why do you feel that way? Mm -hmm. You end up finding out sometimes some people are like, well, I'm just so bothered by how many people in our country literally can't afford to buy food. I'm just so bothered. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you find out that, wow, I actually agree with you. I hate that. Yeah. You know, and then you find common ground. And you go, I agree with you. I don't like that. Yeah. I'm just not sure that this is the best solution. Yes. And, and that's when you're beginning to remove identities and get to the yeah. core of yes. the issue. That's good. That never happens yeah. until you first take a posture of listening. And I think mm. some people, yeah. they, I think it's, da I think it's, I don't know, it's dangerous. I, I just think it's bad 
posture to sit on your high horse and think you have it all figured out. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I just think there's an arrogance and a pride mm-hmm. that exists in camps, and that's all camps, political yeah. camps, mm-hmm. faith, non-faith. There's, a, there's this pride mm-hmm. that sits in the campus and goes, I know what's right. I'm right. Everybody mm-hmm. else is wrong, and I'm not even going to entertain a conversation and listen mm-hmm. to you. And I do agree. I think there, there is a big percentage of that. It's because you have a lot of people, and it's what they believe is kind of what they um, – have been told to believe or the yeah. camp or the environment they've grown in to believe or their echo chambers tell them to believe. But if you peel it all the way, they're really afraid that they're they're what they believe is maybe a little more fragile yeah, or they're afraid that it's going to be picked apart. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just think that, you know, I, I think that's one of the things like that you brought up the three of us at this table. It's part of the reason why we'll have conversations like this is because we have mm-hmm. a different posture in the yeah. fact that we are willing to listen to people who are different, have different views, experiences, perspectives, mm-hmm. and, and, and show empathy. And I think that there's a lot of people that they don't, they don't care. And that's the polarization. Yeah. It goes back to it. And so. I think too, like, um, I was in a setting recently <laughs> and I think maybe I get good practice at being in rooms where I'm disagreed with by everybody in the room because <laughs> I think because I joke that I feel politically homeless I feel like a lot of times I mean I love that we have us I think maybe if I didn't have us talk to you, I'd go insane because I feel like maybe I'm insane because I feel like outside of a few people usually if I'm in a room I'm the crazy conservative or I'm the crazy liberal mm. um and and so I, I was in a setting recently where it was obvious everybody at the table disagreed with me and I was the crazy one and I was tempted. I was like, mm. but I had a thought. These are with people I love. I had a thought. Um, and, and, and this is where it goes back to, you almost have to like assess like, well, is it worth it? How, you know, how do I, and I had a thought and I, I, I literally wrote it in my Evernote for that week. This week I have the choice to correct or connect. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's good. And I had to decide. I can out of pride try to be the person who corrects or I can be quiet and listen and ask questions and try to connect with people I love. Yeah. Um, it's good. And sometimes that means just ignoring the conversation <laughs> yes. and not yeah. saying anything, Yes, which is yep. probably something that three of us have gotten really good at doing. Yep. And we send internal text messages to that. <laughs> I was just at dinner. This is what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll text back and go, you should have said this. But you definitely would not want to say no, that. But that no. just stirs yeah. the pot. But th- that helps us just kind of laugh it off and, and go, I'm not going to. Because yes. it's not worth losing a relationship yes. over it. Yeah, yeah. I think. <laughs> Even if it's not a really If there are now. any practical handles in. in uh, just if, if the desire, if you're watching or listening. And your desire, because I want to keep doing this, is to grow and to critically think through the ideas that you both hear and communicate. Mm-hmm. So, um, if your job, if your goal is you want to actually think clearly and think well, number one, number two, if there's things you're actually passionate about, like you said, you have convictions, but you want to actually communicate them in a way that might bring change, then I think you know, number one, be radically honest with yourself. Put all your ideas on the chopping block to be dissected. And start with your own. <laughs> so I think that's the important part. Because mm-hmm. we're really good at dissecting the language of people cool. who disagree with us. Yeah. But what if, especially going into election season, whatever side, whatever, I don't even care. But over the next year, over the next few weeks, like take all of your ideas and dissect your language. Like dissect your ideas. Detach them from your reality. It's okay to be wrong or right. We don't own ideas. But put them on the table and dissect them and be honest about them. Um, a, a second thing is, and I think it's what we've all said in, in similar ways, but exposure. I think exposure yeah. is the antidote yeah. to rigidity, judgmentalism. Expose yourself to ideas. Actually, genuinely listen. It's good. It's good. I just have one final question. Yes. Before we sign off, uh, because you sign on, now we're signing off. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2016, did you, Pastor Russ, mm-hmm. feel the burn? <laughs> the Bernie burn. Did you feel the burn? I did not feel the burn. Did, did you feel the burn? No, I did not. I bet burn. you felt the burn. No, uh, I think you felt the burn. I have never felt bit. the burn. Mm. Okay. I know you. No, no. I'm not even worth asking no. you. No. Okay. But I do think we need a three-party system. Yes. Oh, it would be so great if we. But could not socialism. I think. I think of, of all the assumptions people can make about the three of us at this table, none of us are socialists. No. no. I uh, cannot stand socialism. Maybe that could be another fun one. 
What I think there's a version of libertarian that's interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. third party I, I, B. But but there's also parts that I don't like about it. So it you know it's funny this just came about that uh, Australian couple and the third party thing because yeah. we all talk about we're like this. It's funny towards the end like how's fascinating couple they are and the they the guy lost like 200 pounds in like a year and a half like that's it cycles 50 miles a day. They're getting ready to fly over for some championship or whatever. So we're talking about the most interesting things in life and blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, you guys need to write a book. Like, tell me all this story. And then uh, my dad's best friend, I didn't even realize he had a copy of my book. He brings over and he's like, you guys should read this book. <laughs> and uh, they're like, who wrote this? Like, you wrote this book? And I was like, yeah. And she's looking at it and she goes, yeah, you uh, left out. I'm just now realizing the detail of your life you left out. You, uh, you're a pastor, huh? Uh, and I was like, yeah, I don't ever really tell people that. And But it, that even, once we'd actually had this nuanced, like, interesting conversation, right. it just led to a whole other layer yeah. of just. It's cool. Yeah. Awesome. Good stuff. Hopefully helpful. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Who, who do you think you're voting for in 2024, Pastor Zach? I don't know. Okay. I'll tell you if you tell me. But let's say it at the same time. <laughs> all right. let's, let's, let's all say it at the same time. Ready? Okay. One, One, two, two three. three. Russ. Jesus. <laughs> I said Russ. I'll write your name in. Okay, you're right, my name in. I'll write your name in. Honestly, I'm just... Ex- I'm, write, I'm writing a name in at this point. Yeah, probably the same. I am just excited that on his new podcast tour, uh, about 47% of the nation said they would vote for The Rock. If um, he that is funny, his name keeps coming up a lot. Yeah, I like the rock. Uh, I like the rock. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What about you? Who you? Who you looking for? I said I'm writing you a name. Oh, writing my name. Yeah. Okay. I think you do a great job. Write you in. Thank you. You You Don't you have to be a certain age? You're probably there. What is it? Forty-five. Oh, that's funny. Is it what is it? No, it's thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. Yeah. Yeah. My my homeschool history. You fit in with the last two. Well, then thirty-eight works. Yeah. You know. Oh, you could. Yeah. You would. You can run. I was just gonna say. You can run. Listen, Grandpa Moore. I I was gonna say. I'm not old enough to run. It's clear from our candidate choices. (laughs) I'm like several decades away from being qualified. Hold on. Hold on. I don't think it's thirty-eight. I think you're making. I think think it's thirty-five or forty. If you're a ninety-year-old white man, you are eligible. We are, yeah, I don't, yeah. Okay, we can move on. 35. Okay. 35, there you go. Yep, you're definitely in it, and you're almost. I'm almost there. Woo, we get to vote for you at the next election. Should we get too yes. spicy? Anyways. Oh, okay. good. That's good. Okay, all right. Well, so ends the trilogy of this little mini-series, The Power of Language. So, let's avoid God language, therapy speak, and prime language. And see how it may make our lives and relationships better. All right. Write us in, as always, podcast of the X.church. And until next time, we'll see you then.